Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Back to The Bald Face Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Final show of 2023. Thanks for being along for the ride. Tudor newbie Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano. Let's go to the phone lines now talk to uh, a guest who has filled in as a host on this show before as well. Spencer McLaughlin, contributor 750thegame.com on all things Oregon Ducks. Also locked on Ducks, locked on Pac-12. Spencer, what's going on, my friend? How are you? I'm doing great, guys. It is uh, kind of weird that we got the last show of 2023 already, but it's you know, I, I know a lot of people like to dump on bowl season nowadays, but I keep watching bowl games and I keep being entertained over and over again, and I'm unclear what the problem with this particular product is. we got a Pop-Tart with a face that's going all over the Internet, and I can't get enough of it, and it's got teams like Arizona making a statement as they go into the Big 12. So there's a whole range of stuff to watch for, and I, I can't get enough of it, and pretty soon college football is going to be over. And we won't have any games to watch at all. We'll be sitting around going, boy, I wish we had some games to watch, even if they didn't mean anything. Especially this week, in between uh, Christmas and New Year's, I feel like this is the, the ripe time for, for bowl games and yeah. good bowl games. Unfortunately, we did not get a good one in El Paso today. Uh, I'm not sure how much of Beavers Irish you were able to catch, but final score spoke for itself as the Beavers close up the chapter on 2023 and now it's full steam ahead into the Trent Bray era. Yeah, it is. And that was certainly not how Oregon State wanted to end the 2023 season for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, their head coach and a bunch of players have gone and everything feels like it's, it's just so up in the air and uncertain. And it would have been nice to have something to kind of hold on to, to feel good about. But, you know, with, 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 with the important context of Bengal Branson was back there and he's unlikely to be back there as they brought in Giovanni McCoy and Jabari Johnson via the portal this, this offseason, that, that had to just leave a seed of doubt in the minds of some Beaver fans of, wait, how, how big of a step back or could we be taken here? I mean, that was, you know, no, no Josh Gray. They didn't have their other starting right tackle whose name is eluding me right now, but I know he's an all-conference guy and um, – but, but those are the sorts of players who you're not going to have next year either. And playing against a, a good but not great Notre Dame team like that, I, I think was uninspiring and frustrating. Now, the, the silver lining there is Trent Bray was not the head coach. You, you had a position coach, you know, Coach Fonson uh, out there, at, or, or uh, Hinson, Coach Hinson out there at, at the interim. And it wasn't the guy who's going to be on the sidelines next year when Oregon State plays their first game. So that's the optimism I think that can be provided. But, I mean, this was an 8-2 football team that was ranked number 11 in the college football playoff rankings. They were ranked in every single poll, everywhere that you look inside the top 15. And, and now all of, a sudden, all of a sudden you look up and it was an 8-5 season, and that just doesn't feel like what was possible and what was you know, really happening on the field up until the last few weeks. But – 
Uh, it's uh, unfortunately the way the cookie is crumbled. Speaking of what's possible and how things uh, kind of fell, you know, Oregon finds itself in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, we've been able to talk about it for a little while now, but now the game's almost here, coming up on Monday morning, 10 a.m. kickoff out here on the West Coast for the Ducks and Liberty. And Bo Nix is going to play. Bucky Irving's going to play. I guess a couple of game-time decisions with guys like Birch and Florence. But overall, what do you make of the fact that a couple notable players are going for Oregon? And you got an opponent in Liberty that's a little bit hard to get up for, but at the same time, you want to put an exclamation point on what's been a, a pretty good year for the Oregon Ducks. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a fantastic year. It didn't end the way that Oregon fans wanted it to. The team didn't reach their full potential, but you know, to look back and say that the season was a failure or, or some huge, massive letdown, no, USC's season was a failure. Like that, that, that's what a failure of a season looks like compared to what your expectations were in the preseason. So I think that distinction is an important one to make for Oregon fans. But, you know, this, this game, I think, just depends on, on Oregon's motivation level. I think that's going to determine the final score because the talent gap here is pretty sizable. You know, Liberty runs the ball very well. Uh, their quarterback is a good runner and a solid thrower as well. Uh, Quentin Cooley is a good running back, good physical running back, and they, they get creative with their triple option looks with loaded backfields and motion and counter plays. And I, I think that they've done a really good job making that their identity on offense and executing week in and week out. But they haven't faced a team like Oregon uh, at all. It's a big point spread for a reason. But I think the margin of victory depends upon you know how long Bo Nix maybe plays. I would love to see Austin Novosad get run in this game and. I think it also depends upon, you know, how fired up the Ducks can be because, yeah, you have the letdown against Washington for the second time, and that takes the wind out of your sails. And you're certainly missing a couple of key players, all-conference, all-American guys, and JPJ, Troy Franklin, and Kyrie Jackson. But, you know, it's just kind of a a mystery right now. We won't know until we see it how fired up they can be. Obviously, Landing has been positive and upbeat with – you know, his statements about, yeah, we're excited to play and the opportunity and everything. But, that, you know, that, that can very easily be coach speak. Like, we all know that there is an element of disappointment inside of that locker room because of how the game went on December 1st. If that game goes a different way, a couple plays here and there, it's a different feeling, a different conversation, and they know that as well as us. So I, I think that for the Ducks, if they come out and say, you know what, we want to win 12 games for what would be just the fifth time in, in program history, if we want to really carry as much momentum as possible as we go into the Big Ten, send Bo Nix and Bucky Irving out and Brandon Dorless on a high note with their fantastic Oregon careers, then, yeah, I think they could dog walk Liberty. But if they don't, the Flames are going – there's no question about the Flames' motivation level, guys, because they're going to come out. It's arguably the biggest game in the history of their football program. Yeah, I, uh, I have a hard time thinking Oregon – will struggle on offense at any point in this game. You know, they should get a handful of explosive plays. They should be able to score pretty much whenever they want to. I, I wonder if Liberty gets off to a fast start themselves on offense, then it could be a semi-competitive game. But, yeah, I think 17's probably right in there. Liberty might be able to backdoor it if the Ducks play some reserves in defense, you know, at the end of the game or something. But it should be a comfortable um, Oregon victory uh, in this football game. 
Uh, what do you think of Bo Nix as an NFL prospect? I'm curious what you think as someone that's watched a lot of NFL and obviously you've watched a lot of college football, and Nix has a lot of data points uh, from which to analyze his college football career. Yeah, yeah, he does. And, you know, Michael Penix is going to have a lot of data points as well, and so too will Sam Hartman from Notre Dame. There are a lot of experienced veteran guys coming out in this quarterback class, which, you know, is largely considered to be one of the best in the last 10, 15 years or so because of its depth. You know, you have Caleb Williams up at the top. You have Drake May. I love Drake May. I'm a Seahawks fan, and Judah, I would love for the Seahawks to get Drake May somehow, some way. I don't think they will, but. I would love for that to happen. But, you know, as it pertains to Bo Nix, I think it depends on his landing spot. And you can say that about anybody, but I think Caleb Williams and Drake May are going to be able to go wherever. I felt this about C.J. Stroud as well, and he's had a great rookie year. I I, I think that wherever those guys go, they're going to end up being the same pro quarterback mostly. You can have some variation here and there because of, you know, what's around them, who the coaching staff is, and what sort of system they're running. But, you know, I look at Bo Nix, and I, I think about a guy like Brock Purdy and say, I, I see no reason that Bo Nix can't be Brock Purdy. I, I, I think that's the ceiling. A guy who, you know, Bo Nix has got a stronger arm, he's just as accurate, and he's got more athleticism. But if Brock Purdy were not on the 49ers, we wouldn't talk about him as a franchise-caliber quarterback. He is, so we do and we should. But... To think that if Bo Nix, like if Bo Nix went to the Rams, I think that'd be awesome. I, I, th- I think if McVay could remind himself that running the football is what made him a great play culture in the first place, he got a little pat happy, I think, with Matt Stafford over the last couple of years, but they're still a good team. I think if Bo Nix could go learn that system from Matt Stafford and the Rams give Bo Nix a try, yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic landing spot for him. But if he goes somewhere else, like the Patriots, I mean, who's going to succeed in the Patriots' offense? Like, they, they, they have no idea what they're doing offensively in New England. They've got Bill O'Brien as their OC, and by this time next year, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Josh McDaniels again. But the only guy that's had consistent success was this guy, Tom Brady, who turned out to be a pretty good player. So I think that for Bo Nick, it depends entirely on where he lands. I feel that way about just about every quarterback prospect that's coming out, aside from Caleb Williams and Drake May. I think those two guys are the franchise changers, the you know high floor, high ceiling sort of quarterbacks in the NFL from a production standpoint. But I think that for guys like Bo Nix or Michael Penix or you know Quinn Ewers is going to go back, but a guy like Sam Hartman at Notre Dame or whoever else ends up being a pick you know, in the first or second or third round, I think it depends on, on your landing spot. Like, look at a guy like Jalen Hurts. He, he's good because he's in Philadelphia. If Jalen Hurts is in any other system, well, not necessarily any other system, but if he's in, you know, a Patriots spot or if he's with the Bears, you know, he doesn't have a fat contract waiting in the wings for him that, that he's already signed. Talking to Spencer McLaughlin, 750thegame.com, Locked On Ducks, Locked On Pac-12. Uh, we've been talking about Washington in the playoff here, Spencer. Um, you know, I know you're, you've been a Duck fan. You've been following them for a while. How should Duck fans feel about Washington on New Year's? Is it a team you root for because it makes you look a little bit better? Or is there no way in heck you can root for your rival to play for a national championship? 
Uh, I, I am unaware of any Oregon fan that will be rooting for Washington on Monday evening. <laughs> I'm not sure what the reasoning would be if you were, because in the past you could maybe justify, hey, we want West Coast football to be legitimized. Hey, we want it to get the respect that it deserves. We want to build up brands over here and have more than one national brand to play big-time games. There's no benefit to that for Oregon right now as they're about to go to the Big Ten. They've already demonstrated that they're a big enough brand to get an invite solely because of football because academically they are not as closely aligned with you know some of the other institutions that are in that conference. It's, it's a football play bad Oregon. It's like 100%. If it were you know a- academically oriented, it probably would have been Washington and Stanford as the two teams that you take for the Big Ten, but it was Washington and Oregon because they've got the rivalry, because it's a big game, because they're great programs, they're historic programs. Oregon's already built them up to that, themselves up to that point. Washington is in that lane as well. Everyone is very well aware of that as they're making the 14 playoff for the second time. So I, I don't see what the benefit to Washington winning is for Oregon fans. I, I think Duck fans, they are currently seeking for, but uh, struggling to come up with because there isn't really anything to hold over Washington's head right now is that, you know, the Huskies haven't won a game on New Year's Day since uh, they haven't won one in my lifetime. They, they, not, they have not won a college football playoff game yet. So that, that's the only sliver of optimism there. But right now, Duck fans, uh, when you meet your Washington friends or relatives or interact with them online, Duck fans are taking it on the chin, and that's because they – don't really have a comeback right now in the football world. So with that in mind, what do you think happens on the field? Let's start with that Washington-Texas game uh, in the Sugar Bowl. Who do you think comes out on top? I think Washington does because I think it's a bad matchup for Texas. You know, Texas, neither defense is really very good. Um, neither one is, I think, as bad as the numbers might indicate, but I don't think either one is very good. And so when you have prolific offenses led by – great quarterbacks and great offensive coaches, you're going to have a lot of points in this game. Whether or not Xavier Worthy plays a wide receiver for Texas. So I think that for Texas, the strength of their defense that has been good this year has been defensive front. And Washington's offensive line just won the Joe Moore Award for the best O-line in college football. And they just bullied Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, and that was not a good, that was a great, is a great Oregon defensive front. They were great all year, and Washington just played better on December 1st. So I think that that kind of neutralizes Texas's advantage. They have an injury question in the secondary. That's not going to go very well, and if you can't pressure Michael Pettix, Washington's going to win the football game. It's usually that simple. It has been for the last two years. Even when Penix has been pressured, they've found ways to win. But Washington just hasn't struggled enough offensively in any game where he isn't significantly pressured to make me think, oh, yeah, Texas can pull this out in this way or that way. I I think that Washington's offensive line is just ridiculously good. They've got two uh, two NFL-caliber tackles that are playing at a really high level. And I think that the interior has been better than perhaps expected. And they have come together to be a really good unit. And um, I think for Texas, secondary questions and injury potentially back there, 
I, I think Washington's strength neutralizes that for Texas' defense. And um, I think it's a, it's a high-scoring game, but I don't think either team has beaten the other by double digits. And give me a single-digit game and Michael Pre- Michael Penix being comfortable, I'll take Kalen DeBoer and the Huskies to win that one because that's all he's done for the last two years. So all three of us are in agreement with that one. I know it would be the last thing Oregon fans would want to see to see Washington win the national championship. But in your yeah. est- in your estimation, who meets them there if it is Washington beating Texas? I think it's Alabama. I, I think this is the ultimate Nick Saban middle finger to the college football people who told him to retire at the start of this year because they lost to Texas. And, you know, he was certainly not fielding his best team at the beginning of the season. Um, and I don't think it is the best Alabama team, but I think it's one of the best Nick Saban coaching jobs, and you know, I think Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. Not saying he can't do it in the playoffs. He hasn't yet, and if if, if Michigan were playing either Washington or Texas, I'd pick them to win, but I, I've got a tough time picking against Nick Saban in a spot like this, where I think he does, whether he admits it or not, have that motivation of so many people were asking the question, is it time for Saban to retire? Do we need to move on? Who's going to replace? Is it going to? And Nick Saban's just sitting there, beating the two-time defending champs in Georgia, winning the SEC, another 12-win season. Ho-hum, they win the SEC. And I think that their offensive line has found a really good groove uh, as well. And, and I think Michigan's a great team. But – I like Jalen Milrow more than J.J. McCarthy. I don't know that that's a popular take, but uh, I think Milrow with his legs is just playing at a really high level. And I think that for for Alabama, if you're going to be in a close game like this, I, I think Saban finds a way to, to get it done. But I think these are the best matchups. Like if you just told me without seeding, these are the best four football teams and you need to pair them up in a game, these are the matchups that I would want because you've got competing styles with one another. Grind it out, slug fest, a little more defense in the Rose Bowl, and then in the Sugar Bowl, you got two teams that want to throw the ball, score a bunch of points, and have great offensive coordinators, play callers, and quarterbacks. So I, I, I think it's going to be fantastic. Final games were just high, high-quality entertainment, and that's what I expect to enjoy on Monday night. It'll be a great New Year's, uh, shaping out that way. Thanks a lot for the time, Spencer. We appreciate it, and we'll look forward to uh, following your work on 750thegame.com. Locked on Ducks as well. We'll talk to you again soon. Anytime, Judah. I appreciate it. There he is, Spencer McLaughlin. We'll wrap up shop when we come back on this final show of 2023. Canzano back again next week. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano on the Bold Face Truth.